Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hi, you're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast, a podcast about breaking into the world of finance, along with interviews with those who have. I'm Alex Grodnick, and on today's show, we're speaking with Ben Altman. Ben worked in banking and then private equity, but then decided that it really wasn't for him. He left that world to travel, start a business, and get a million followers on YouTube. This is a good one, guys, and I'm excited for it. Before we get going on today's episode, though, let me just tell you about the investment banking course that Wall Street Oasis offers. It's the most comprehensive offering out there and is guaranteed to help you out. Check it out. It's got a money-back guarantee, and when you buy it, make sure you select podcast is where you heard about it. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. All right, Ben, hello. Welcome. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. So we're standing in your kitchen in your new apartment in Santa Monica with no furniture yes. and no air conditioning. And is there internet now? There is. Just After a two-hour ordeal, we successfully have internet. So just barely some internet and everything's fresh. Yeah. And you and I just met, and I'm excited to be speaking with you. And I think our listeners will be excited once they hear who you are and a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm excited. I love Wall Street Oasis, so I'm happy to be here. Okay, great. So you are kind of a experimenter, I think kind of like a Tim Ferriss kind of blogger, all sorts of interesting things, MMA fighter now, but that's not always who you were. You were high finance, investment banking, private equity, Wharton. So tell us how you got from there to here. Like, let's start at the beginning. Sure. Um, well, it's funny. I think a combination of Tim Ferriss and Wall Street Oasis saved my life. But uh, basically, I was just a good student in high school with no real goals beyond get into college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Went to Penn as a philosophy major because I liked writing. The most prestigious school at the time, at least, felt like it was Wharton. And so there's a lot of pressure to actually try to transfer into Wharton, do a dual degree, something like that. So I mostly got into Wharton via like uh, having no sense of really myself or where I wanted to go. And just at the time being a very impressionable 18-year-old. <laughs> so I transferred to Wharton because my roommate was trying to and my friend from high school was trying to. And that was it. And from there, you know, I fell into the stream that I think so many people probably fall into from business school or if you go to certain undergraduates uh, that you just kind of get funneled into investment banking because it's so easy, right? They come to you on campus and they just they uh, make it the easiest job to get. And at the same time, it's all your peers and all your teachers are really encouraging. If you see people get jobs in those industries, everyone's like, oh my God, that's amazing. So again, if you're like a, a drift 
20 year old with no real goals, uh, that's very appealing. So I fell into investment banking. I went, did Blackstone M&A for two years, and then I did uh, private equity at Hellman and Friedman. Um, great firms. Yep. If you're going to do those jobs, I really have nothing bad to say about them relative to their peers, but just was not for me at all. And I was hoping that private equity would be super different from investment banking, but it was like a upgrade, but similar enough. And I'm just not someone that likes to model. I'm not someone that likes to read 10 Ks. You know, I didn't like sleeping under my desk, pulling all nighters. And, uh, at some point in one of those jobs, I was reading Wall Street Oasis, just killing time while an MD was looking over my stuff. I found a post that said, if you hate your job, this book will change your life, I think was the title. And I was very intrigued because I was coming off of some you know, string of all-nighters, super tired, pretty miserable. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And I clicked it, and it took me to Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek. And that book, when I read it, really changed my life. For the first time, it made me realize that you didn't have to have a job. You didn't have to work for someone else. I, I'd never met any entrepreneurs before that. I didn't know any friends who had started businesses. This was a little before like people were becoming billionaires off Instagram and Snapchat and all that. And so reading that book, it really just says like most people take their prime health years, 18 to 60, when they can do the most things in their life and they sacrifice them to a company so that at 60 plus years of age, they can hang out at home and do nothing. And that didn't make sense to me. And the book really lays it out in a way where it's like, if you had another option, would you do it? And the other option is start a business that's geographically independent and time independent so you can live wherever you want, wake up when you want, work when you want, and do something you actually care about. And for me, because I don't particularly get much fulfillment from investing in other businesses, it just blew my mind. And so I started a business basically the second I finished that book. That business failed. I started a second business. That business did okay. And then I started Charisma on Command, and that's the business I run now. So did you start those two businesses while you were working in private equity, or, or you had left private equity? What was the time frame for there? So the first, the first business was like a super small thing that I uh, did on the side while I was actually at Blackstone. Okay, so early. Yeah. So you had this entrepreneurial bug. Like It was clear very early on. This is not for me. I like the high paying kind of, I'm learning a lot, but I'm not going to be doing this. Yeah. I don't even think you learn that much. I think people overhype the benefits of investment banking. Like you learn a lot if you want to work in finance. Right. I don't use anything that I, everything I know about business, I learned from <laughs> online programs. Like for our work week, my friend has a program called marketing step-by-step. -step. Uh, it's incredible. It's by Eben Pagan. And then, um, Clay Collins has a great thing, but I basically self-taught myself everything entrepreneurial, even through four years of business school and four years in finance, I was really just well-equipped to work in finance. So, um, they do pay well though. That, that's nice. That, I think that's nice. Yeah. the, the thing for me was I knew I didn't like that job and I wanted to do something else. So I started the business. It didn't work because your first business almost never does. And then I recruited for private equity and I thought that would be potentially something I really liked. And like I said, I have nothing bad to say about the firm. I actually am still pretty close with a lot of people that work there. 
it's just not a good fit for me. I just don't like waking up at 7.30 in the morning, putting on a suit and tie, getting on a subway with a bunch of other dreary people that don't want to be on the same subway that I don't want to be on, and then getting to work and, and immediately sitting down and being told kind of, look at this report or read this 10K or whatever. Like, I like waking up at 11 and doing yoga and going surfing. It's just, right. it's not their fault. Like, I was just not a good fit for that job. Right. So investment banking, that's the first trap. They recruit all these young people, glitz and glam. They're taking you out for steak dinners. Everyone's doing it. Yeah. You get the job. And then private equity, that's the second trap. It's like, oh, you can get paid a little more, work a little less, have some more ownership, more responsibility. Sounds great. Fine. You go do that job. Still not for you. Yeah. And I think for, for the person listening to this, like, it's really just what's your ideal look like? Because I know people that do those jobs and are happy. But it's just like if you could wave a magic wand and your life would look like whatever you wanted and you had infinite money, would you wake up at 7.30, put on a suit and tie, go into an office and read about the food industry or the pharmaceutical industry or a certain airplane parts company? For a few of my friends, the answer is really yes. Like they just, <laughs> since, they, since they were like 16, they wanted to be hedge fund investors and they're doing it and they love it. I think for most people though, the answer is no. And they fall into it for the prestige or the money and then they just stay in it. So. so what do you think is the barrier that keeps people in these jobs that they're not having? Yes, the money and everything, but how can they, they have some like itch in their head? I don't want to be doing this, but I don't know what I want to be doing. For you, you found this book. Yeah. Some things on Wall Street Oasis were helpful. What do you think people should, should do to kind of find what they want to do? I think everyone that's unhappy in their job should read The 4-Hour Workweek. Seriously, like I don't – I've never even met Tim Ferriss. I make no money off of this, but – if you don't like your job, go buy the four-hour work week because it's $10, $15, and it could seriously change the trajectory of your whole life. Um, and I think that's really it. That's, that's step one through 10. If that appeals to you, if that book and what it outlines excites you, then you should start a business. And it'll outline exactly how to do that and what kind of business. You know, He focuses on what he calls lifestyle businesses, which I really like, which is I mean, the title kind of gives it away, the four-hour work week. I work more than that, but it's, it's about working a couple hours a day doing high-impact stuff that you love that makes the world better. And that, to me, was very exciting. Right, and you got to check in your mailbox every month. <laughs> yeah. No, it's nice. I mean, I think some jobs in finance are actually like this, but what's cool about owning your own business is when you do good work, you make good money. And if you have decided that you want to take a week off and you're willing to take whatever income hit comes from that, you can do that. And if you decided you want to work two hours a day for the next four months while you're in Bali, you can do that. Like no one tells you what to do or when to do it. And that's super appealing, I think. Right. But I mean, granted, in finance, there's tons of smart people. Not every one of them is set up to be an entrepreneur. So there has to be, I think there has to be something inside of you that says, this is who I am. I can, I can go do this on my own. I can take a little bit risk averse maybe, right? Yes. I think if you want it, you can be successful. A risk seeking, sorry. I, I know some guys who are not super smart. I don't know how well they did in school. No like particular skill set or aptitude for this. But they just decided this was their dream and they're like, I'm going to run at this forever. And they're doing really well. Like they, they support themselves. They lived in Colombia. They've lived in... LA, they've lived in 
New York. They've lived in, you know, all sorts of places. And uh, it's just because they try over and over and over again. I think people just scare easily or scare early, you know? So, like, I started a business. It was called BCX Parkour. It didn't do well. <laughs> this, is the, this is the second business. First business. First business is BCX Parkour. Yeah, it took a lot of work. Uh-huh. We, we hired a parkour professional, a videographer. We scripted. We edited a video. We sold physical DVDs. And I think we lost like five grand each, me and my business partner. Um, that's the point where a lot of people would just quit. Right. And I think, I don't know, entrepreneurship is a skill like anything else. And if you just decide that you want to be good at it, I think almost anyone can at least support themselves. Got it. So what was the second business? Uh, the second business was called Kick-Ass Academy. And we did dating advice for men. So... Uh, that was like our first foray into trying to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, terrible name, terrible business. I think we had good intentions, but that industry is just so like polluted that it's impossible to do anything there. So it was good. I learned a lot. That was where I learned the most about business. That's where I, I got into marketing step-by-step step, and that's where I got into other courses and I went to some conferences. That was, that was like my education period for entrepreneurship. Okay. And so how did you get to what you're doing now? Where did this idea come from? Was it like the progression of that business? Yeah. So I think this is, again, why I think everyone can be successful if they just stick to it. Because I've seen one of my buddies is 25 and he's run six businesses. And like the first four were anywhere from like not successful to a couple grand a month. And now his sixth one makes six figures a month. He's just slaughtering it. But it's because for five years... He kept pivoting. And I think similarly with us, we realized the reason we got into the, the helping guys be better with women area was because it was a sore spot for myself that when I focused on it, made my life a lot better. And I saw it as a sore spot for a lot of my friends. A lot of people from good colleges, especially, are in fraternities and they're cool on campus and like they're doing well socially. They break up with their college girlfriend, they move cities, they start a job where they work 80 hours a week, they start to get in worse shape, they start to be tired, they all of a sudden don't have time to go out, all their friends are busy, their social life falls apart. I was just watching all my friends who were single either get back with their exes or just be single and unhappy about it. I was like, oh, this is a real like sweet spot kind of area where there's a lot of pain. You know, I think there's a lot of people that are lonely and single and don't want to be. So we entered that because... That's was a pain point for us and a pain point for people I saw. But the industry is just so crowded. It's so unethical. There's so many sleazy people in there. And it just wasn't for us. But we learned that by doing it. <clears throat> and it helped us see there was a hole in this general charisma area. Leadership coaching, gender neutral coaching, things that can help you get a promotion or get a job, be a better interviewer. Um, and I think that pivot was really sp- like spurned on by making the mistake of going into that first business. Right. So, but yeah, we, I mean, my, my founder and I were both just nerdy losers. <laughs> like, um, I wasn't, my dating life wasn't what I wanted. I was in a fraternity, but I wasn't the most liked guy. I was at a job, but I wasn't the most liked guy. And I was just like, wow, my ability with people is really not where I want it to be. And so I studied psychology for years and it was super helpful. So it's kind of a scratch your own itch thing where 
In the same way, I think, you know, people that weigh 300 pounds and then get in sick shape sometimes start fitness companies because they've just seen how beneficial it is. This was us, but just for social skills. Right. And I like the idea, the general idea of it. You don't like something about yourself. Fix it. Change it. And that's kind of what the advice business that you're in probably tells a lot of people to do. Yeah. So at what point did you leave Hellman Friedman? I felt, I did my contract. I told them very early on, I forget when, maybe nine months in or something, when I had my first year review or like a pre-review, they asked, would you think about staying for a third year or anything about business school? And I was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to move to Bali and start a business. And they just kind of like looked at me funny, but they weren't not supportive. They just were like, oh, like we hired a weirdo on accident. <laughs> so they knew very early on, um, but I fulfilled my contract. I right. think I really liked those guys and I also try to be someone that is a man of his word. And so I said, I'd come from this date. I'd stay till this date. So I did the whole thing. And then the second I was out, kind of gave hugs to all the people at the office. And then I think I got on a flight to Brazil the next day because we switched from Bali to Brazil. Wow. So Okay. So tell us about Brazil, starting this business. Tell us about all that. Yeah. So the business is all online. We actually, there's no reason for us to travel as much as we do, but we, we've traveled around the world just because it's fun and it's something we are able to do. Yeah. You can do it. So do it. Yeah, but it's actually probably bad for the business <laughs> because we're constantly moving around. Like I have to get furniture for this apartment in LA and like that's time I could be working, but it's just, it's just fun. And Brazil was a place I went on vacation when I was in Hellman and Friedman. I went for two weeks and I just loved it. Like the people were so friendly. The weather was amazing. The beach there, if you go to that beach in Leblon or in Apodor is incredible. It really appealed to me to go to a place that didn't speak English because I wanted to learn a new language. I think that's good for your brain. I also think it gives you perspective to be in a different culture with different values. So Brazil called to us for a ton of reasons that had nothing to do with work. Um, but it was great. I loved it. I mean, I really I made good friends. I, I found some women I really liked. And uh, I moved there with me and my business partner and four other guys that we actually convinced to either quit their job or drop out of college just by doing it ourselves and being excited about it. So we didn't really recruit. We just had friends that were working jobs. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to quit my job. They're like, oh, why? I'd tell them all this. And they'd be like, fuck, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to quit my job too. So we got a six-bedroom apartment right on the beach in Apodor. And we were 25 years old at the time, or I was. Some, some guys were 20 and uh, one guy was 30. And that was it. We had our own little like entrepreneur house on the beach in Rio de Janeiro. And were those four guys working with you or they were doing something different? Everything different. Everything one, different. one guy was a killer. Uh, he had sold his company to Google for like seven figures of some kind. It was just hanging out in New York. And we met him. He liked us. We really liked him. I'd known him for a week, literally a week. And I was like, dude, you're so great. Like you need to come to Rio with us. And he's like, all right. Yeah. I actually said no. He was like, nah, it's not for me. And then he called us while we we're in Rio. And I was like, yo, I'm coming. <laughs> so that was him. We met uh, two college students. One was actually Charlie's brother. And the other was just a guy we met in New York. Convinced them that entrepreneurship was better than getting a degree and just paying for you know, an education you can give yourself. So they came. And then one dude was the, sales, like the head of sales for a tech company. And also had a blog on the side. And we found his blog, liked it, hit him up to ask for a guest post at the time. And we got along. We started hanging out, this and that. And then convinced him to quit his job and come full-time. So 
to work with you guys. No, to work on his own oh, blog. To work on We're his just like his own blog. Yeah, so his name's Scott Britton. Uh-huh. He has a company called Lifelong Learner. He also started a business now called Troops. And at the time, we we're just like, dude, you're better than us <laughs> at all this entrepreneurship stuff. You've been doing it longer. You have more followers. You're making more money. We're going to quit our jobs, and we're going to go full-time on this. I suspect that in your heart, you would like to also do that. Um, you should. Like, you're, you're giving up less, and you're more likely to be successful than we are. <laughs> and I think that, that that resonated with him. Right. And I was killing it. Now he's in New York, and he's got a funded startup and doing really well. That's, that's so cool. Okay, so you're in Brazil. Your startup is like trying to get off the ground. You're building this internet advice company. Mm-hmm. And tell us what happened, how where you are, how how it worked, ups and downs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it, there's a pretty standard like life cycle for any advice business, whether it's fitness or whether you're trying to help people be entrepreneurs or in our case, help people be better with people, which is you start just writing a blog because you don't know what to do. And that just seems it's free to do. And then you just try to get people to read it. You get like 100 people to read a blog post after some weeks or months of effort. It feels amazing because you're like 100 people. Picture 100 people. It's insane. It's just very exciting. Um, But you just write these blog posts that almost no one's reading. You try to get them viewed however you can or shared however you can. And then you're going to write a book. And that book is going to sell for like 10 bucks. And it's the first money that you ever make online. And it's really exciting. It's more exciting than the six-figure bonus that I got uh, working in finance, which is just to sell a book for $10 and go, we're doing it. We're really doing it. Like, we just need to do this a lot more frequently, <laughs> and we'll be able to survive. So uh, you got a book, and then most people do coaching, and that's what we did. We did coaching. It was three-month coaching for six grand. We talk once a week with these people on Skype, so we'd be in Brazil, but they'd be in Australia or Europe or... North America. And that's like pretty much how everybody in the advice business starts. Mm -hmm. And then after you've coached 50 people and you realize that there are certain questions that get asked a lot, you can kind of like productize what you're doing and then it becomes scalable. So that for us was we had maybe 5,000 people on our like email list at the time that we could email blog posts to and stuff. And we just went with them for like a solid couple of weeks, we were like, what do you guys want? What would be your ideal? I want to make something that you guys love. I think a big mistake entrepreneurs make is they go make what they want without listening. They just put in earplugs. They just go, la, la, la. Like, I want to make this. And they take it out to the world. And they go, do you guys want this? And no one wants it because they didn't co-create it. So we went and we co-created this thing. We're like, what? here are 50 topics we could do. Like, what do you care about? And there were six that everybody was really excited about. It was like how to make an amazing first impression, how to have unshakable confidence that doesn't leave you in high-pressure situations, how to be an incredible, captivating storyteller, how to be a good conversationalist, not run out of things to say, how to be a good leader. So there, there are these things that came up again and again that people wanted. And so we went and made that. And it's this online portal. It's, it's like an online university. It's called Charisma University. Yeah. And people go in and there's hours of videos and action guides and things to do each day. And so that was the first time we had a real scalable uh, offer that was also exciting. Because like a PDF for five bucks, 10 bucks, no one cares. Coaching is not scalable. That's just selling your time for money. But now we finally had this thing, whether one person was in it or 10,000 people were in it, it could exist. And so now we finally, after like, I think a year, 
had what I would consider a real scalable business. And then from there, it was just about trying to get traffic to it. And that's, that's how we started with the, the YouTube channel. Sure. So at what point did you start a YouTube channel? Like right after you would crowdsourced this, these, these six questions? And- no, man, we're terrible business people. So <laughs> we, I was going to conferences and meeting people. And repeatedly, they were like, dude, your thing is charisma. And you're very charismatic. Why don't you make videos? Why don't you let people see you, see how you gesticulate, see the facial expressions, hear your voice? Why are you, we weren't doing podcasts, we were writing blog posts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> it just, I was like, oh, that's pretty good advice. I'll probably do that one day. And so I don't think we really started focusing on YouTube until about a year ago, which would be three years into the business. So for three years, it was blog posts, guest posts, podcasts like this. But we had made a video randomly. And it was about Bill Clinton's eye contact because he is incredible, like world class. When you meet him, every person that meets him says Bill Clinton is mesmerizing. So we made a video about his eye contact. Didn't think about it. Went back to writing blog posts that would get like 5,000 views. And then we look and the web, the uh, video has 70,000 views or something. Uh, We're like, hang on. <laughs> like, maybe we should do a second video. We do a second video and a third and then, yeah, the YouTube channel just exploded. Um, In one year, you grew a YouTube channel to a million subscribers? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. So we're actually thinking about making a second business teaching people how to do that. Yeah. I think that's pretty fast relative to most. That's pretty good. There's but, not that many 1 million subscriber YouTube channels. Yeah. No, it's great. And, and like I said before, when you get 100 people to read your blog posts, it's super exciting at first because it's like 100 people. We get like 4 million views a month on our YouTube channel and it is literally mind-blowing. I like can't fathom it. Every time I think about it, it makes me so excited and overwhelmed at the same time because... That's just so many people. But that's why I like internet businesses. Because like, if you open a store, one, you have to invest a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You got to buy real estate. You got to buy this, you go over that. You got to buy inventory. And then you can affect like uh, maybe 1,000 people a year, 10,000 people a year. Uh, the internet's so fucking cool because you're just like 4 million people a month. Like that's insane. Yeah. And, uh, and it's all free on the YouTube channel. And you just get to make stuff that people like. And we like making it. And I don't know. Just... It's like, it feels very good to do. It's more exciting to me than, than the finance stuff that I had been doing. Well, that's great. Yeah, that is very exciting. So where do you go from here? You're in LA now. You just got here. Do you stay here for a while and continue to grow the business and surf and meditate? And <laughs> go go uh, talk to girls or, or, or what's next? Uh, yes, so I would say... We never do a five-year plan. We never do a 10-year plan. That's the first caveat. A lot of people say do five-year plans, do 10-year plans, but we never do that. We go six months, maybe 12 months. Um, I think that for us, it's more helpful. It helps us achieve more when we just focus on what to do in the moment, but to each their own. I'm sure there are people much more successful than me that would tell you that that's stupid. But I just signed a 12-month lease in LA. It's the longest lease I've ever had since I left finance. And I think it's partially, I'm about to turn 30 in three weeks, and I kind of, I'm just getting older, and I think it's partially, I've been traveling the world for four or five years now, and I feel like I'm craving a bit more of a community and a bit more of, 
not stability, but just like consistency. Mm-hmm. Like every time you move, you need a new apartment, a new gym, a new jujitsu gym, you buy a new surfboard, you don't know where anything is around you, you don't know where to get food. And it's just simultaneously fun, but also exhausting. So hopefully we love LA. I'd love to stay here for the next three to five years and just travel from here, go to a month in Bali and come back. That's kind of my ideal. And business-wise, I'm all in on Charisma on Command. So like that's, I feel pretty confident about that for the next several years, this is the only thing I'll work on. It's a good question of what do we do from here? I think we just started getting sponsors on our videos, which is very exciting. Um, we're going to redo Charisma University and make it much much more, I think, sexy and sleek and user-friendly because the content's amazing, but we built it ourselves. So we're going to hire someone to like make it sexier and create different features like pairing people together so that they have people to work with. Um, But I think it's a lot of just doubling down on what we're doing right now, honestly. Like I really like it. It's working well. Um, So we don't really have any plans to like change things up too crazily. Living in the moment. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I really haven't thought much beyond the fact that, you know, I got internet today. I got a bed last week. Um, and business-wise, we're going to put... So my partner lives in the same building as me, um, but he got a two-bedroom. I got a one-bedroom. We're going to put a YouTube studio in the other bedroom. And that, I think, is very exciting. That's cool. Versus in Brazil, you can't get lights. You can't get a light box. You can't get microphones like the ones we're talking into. So I think it'll be cool just to live in L.A. and crank for a little bit. It's the media capital of the world. There's a lot of people out here that run major television networks. I think that's exciting. We could try to get into something like that. So I don't know. It's just we're just ready, fire, aim. You know, that's our motto. And I think we're just having fun and enjoying being back in the U.S. All right. Well, I wish you luck. Great story. (laughs) A lot of passion. It comes through. I'm sure it's going to come through in the podcast, even though they can't see your pretty charismatic face. (laughs) Um, But Ben, this is great. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. And like I said, if this appeals to anyone, if anyone's unhappy in their finance job, if anything I've said has even been mildly interesting, check out the four-hour work week. I make no money off it, but it might change your life. And if if you're just curious what our YouTube channel is, just go to YouTube, look up Charisma On Command. It's all free. We talk about why Trump won the election, why The Rock is so charming, why Ellen DeGeneres is so funny. It's just a bunch of, I think, interesting breakdowns of real and fake people and, uh, and what they do. By fake people, I mean like Game of Thrones people, not like celebrities that we shit on. Right. Okay. Well, guys, go check that out. And Ben, this was great. Hopefully we can do it again. Thanks very much. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm Alex Grodnick, and you've been listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. We have much more coming, so please stay with us. Also, leave us a comment on iTunes and maybe some stars too. Thanks.